Hey, Breakthrough listeners, it's Jason Lowe and Peter Lount from episode number 107. At Ascendant Financial, mybankersvault.com, we specialize in teaching real estate investors across Canada the process of becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept. Do you also find it frustrating when it's difficult to access the financing you need or when the housing market moves against you? And when there's unexpected prolonged vacancy or expensive repairs, are you tired of transferring all that money away from you? We have the solution at mybankersvault.com. By becoming your own banker, anything that you are already doing financially, including real estate investing, is radically improved. Whether utilizing this process for down payments or for entire real estate purchases, becoming your own banker puts you in a position to control the repayment schedule on your loans while enhancing your overall returns. Whether you are brand new to real estate or a seasoned investor, we believe that ready access to money and financial control should be in your hands not the banks or a loan officer. We have an exclusive and irresistible package for Breakthrough Podcast listeners. If you want the best way to build and deploy capital, easier access to money, better returns, and less headaches, head on over to mybankersvault.com. That's mybankersvault.com. Tired of the 9 to 5? Tired of only dreaming about the things you want to do? Want to have more time for your family? More time for you? More time for you? This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we interview qualified guests in the real estate industry all across Canada. We want you to live life on your terms, and we want to help you break through to that life through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. Now your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay. Hello, everybody. Welcome back once again for some more real estate tricks and tips. And uh, really excited to have you here again with us. And of course, with me again is Mr. Sandy McKay. Hey, How you doing, Sandy. Rob, fantastic today. How about you? I am awesome. Why are you so fantastic? Oh, uh, because I get to watch uh, you with a nice sun and the pool somewhere behind you. And I'm looking outside here and looking at a bunch of snow and minus whatever temperature. And, you know, I'm inspired. Those things make me happy too. You know what? I was going to put a post out the other day. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had a coughing fit like none other that I've had before, like five minutes ago. And <clears throat> so, excuse me, I'm going to sound a little raspy. I don't know what's up. But uh, anyway, um, just like it's it's become sort of just the way it is. And I got to keep reminding myself, you know, right. that, uh, you know, to have gratitude for those kind of things. Right. Because uh, it really is a blessing that we've been able to, to pull this off. So um, just a constant reminder. Right. And even mm-hmm. like, come on, though, there's there's snow on the ground, but you got lots of stuff to be thankful and grateful for. I love, I honestly love snow. I like snow when it's fresh, yeah. like today. It's great. Yeah. Um, when it's slushy and stuff, you know, maybe it's a little tougher to get through, but it's, it's great when it's nice and fresh. So yeah, Beautiful. I'm feeling great. It's good. Some skiing. Is that your thing? Mm, it can be, although I don't, I'm not planning on it, but uh, uh, I do like skiing. What? <laughs> All right. I can do more of that. <clears throat> what are you doing? Shoveling? A little shoveling? Yeah, probably shoveling. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. That's the winter activity for today. Um, Everybody listening should go over to BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca and there they can, speaking of tips and tricks, download our free gift, right, Sandy? 
they can get our free gift, the ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate. And uh, when you do that, of course, everyone knows you all get access to everything we do and every episode uh, immediately. So you never miss a show and you never miss a, you know, a chance to come meet us at some seminar, webinar or whatever the heck we're doing. Um, like I would have sent out a, an email to some of you around the Vaughn Investors Club we did just a couple weeks ago now or a week ago, actually, from when we were recording this was our first ever uh, meet up. It was amazing. We had 75 people ish there. Um, That's amazing, amazing turnout. Yeah. We filled the room and I know a lot of our listeners were there that I got to chat with. So that was really cool. Some people I've never met before um, or never even hardly talked to in any way, shape or form that showed up and, uh, and were fans of the show. So that was great. If you're in the GTA or Ontario, really, we had people from um, as far as I think we had London and Niagara. So pretty far journeys to come to that event a couple hour drives in the winter so thankfully the Um, weather was good that day uh it worked out but we got we got those uh those opportunities every month so i was gonna say that's a monthly thing monthly thing yeah every uh third wednesday of the month would be the the standard sort of day so if you're uh anywhere near the gta within striking distance that you can make it down um love to see you come hang out and like sandy said if you're on our email list you won't miss the uh, alerts letting you know when to come That's it. Um, Okay. Uh, As well, everybody go over to iTunes, leave us a rating review, helps us get great guests, helps us learn what you guys want to hear more of and uh, all that stuff. So go over there and do that. And I think next time, Sandy, remind me if you think of it, I'll try to remind myself and we'll do some reviews. You know what? So we've been talking about, maybe we're going to do this soon. We're going to do a show that's kind of just, we're not going to have a guest. Uh, which we haven't done in a while. I think, I don't know, we didn't necessarily confirm that, but I think we're going to do that in the next uh, little bit. Maybe we'll read out a bunch of them during that one too, because we'll have a little extra time. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Sandy and I are going to talk about some challenges that we've had over the years and how we've overcome them. We were going over a few things before the show and you reminded me, something you said reminded me very much of something similar that happened to us. So it's going to be interesting. Some interesting stories. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. almost, almost, uh, almost need to have like a rated R version for some of them. Maybe. <laughs> um, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. <laughs> Not that story. One of the other ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, horror, horror, horror. Maybe is a better way. To say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is a horror too. But anyways, yeah. enough teasers. <laughs> um, let's get into the show. We got a great guest let's today. Do it. Yeah, we've got Dakota Sharon here with us today, uh, f- coming in from beautiful, um, probably wintry as well, Winnipeg. And uh, Dakota is a 26-year-old real estate investor and community builder. He's committed to creatively acquiring real estate opportunities and providing a successful investment vehicle to others, and ultimately building a national community as well with his, uh, with his brand, National Real Estate Investors Community, uh, which we'll talk on a bit here today. And... Uh, as a young real estate developer, investor, Dakota has pursued his passion with relentless work ethic to pave a road to success within the realm of real estate investing. In just four years, he's successfully helped facilitate more than 100 real estate investments in various capacities, including land development, flips, and rentals. And he founded Arete Holdings Group in 2018, which has brought more than 200 rental doors to the market. And... Um, like I mentioned, president of National Real Estate Investors Community, uh, which is Winnipeg's largest real estate networking community, and looking forward to expanding that in uh, the coming year to a national level. So 
lots of cool stuff, uh, especially at such a young age. Uh, we're super uh, happy to happy happy to have you here, uh, Dakota. Welcome. Appreciate the I uh, appreciate the introduction. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Well, let's start it out as we usually do, and just get a little bit of background. Tell us about yourself first, and then and then a little bit about how you got started in real estate investing. Well, uh, about myself, what can I tell you? I'm 26 years old, was married at 22, uh, thought I had a completely different career path. So I grew up with a broken family, divorced at the age of six, which obviously contributes to my story of just working very hard and having a lot of people to prove and prove wrong. Uh, but I had, you know, I had always had an interest in art uh, of, all, of all things. So design, uh, you know, architecture, homes, floor plans, all those types of things were a big interest of mine. So creativity as well is, is a large contributor to, I believe, kind of what I've been building. Um, but I'm just, you know, I'm just an average guy. <laughs> uh, like I said, married at 22, focused on family, um, you know, come from, a, from, come from a broken family, which I mean is probably 50% of, of Canadians these days. Um, nothing too, nothing too crazy. Regular guy. What can I say? I love to cook. I enjoy reading. Um, I enjoy being active. So sports, uh, you know, working out, hiking, various different things. I love to travel as well. Uh, we got some exciting trips this year, Japan, Bali and Switzerland. So we're, we're excited for that. Um, yeah, it's a little bit, a little bit about me pretty casually. Uh, how did I get started in real estate? So as I had said, I had graduated from high school and originally I had thought I had always wanted to have a business of some capacity. I always wanted to build a business and I always had big dreams for what I was going to build, whatever avenue that was going to be. So originally I thought I was going to pursue architecture, get a master's degree, move out to BC, start an architecture firm and do some really cool properties, houses, et cetera. And uh, I had spent just over a year in university and decided this ain't for me. I'm dropping out. Uh, just could see what the future held, talk to some architects and it just wasn't for me. So I made the move to drop out. At that point, I started what was a lawn care business. Uh, <laughs> I feel like a lot of people go and start these, these little side hustles, if you will. Uh, after a year of doing that, I had a company that was coming out of, out of a different, I guess, city outside of Winnipeg. And they were branching out and, and growing their business into Winnipeg. So they had given me a shout and offered to buy our company. So at that point, I had the decision of either going into real estate full time, going into real estate and still managing the business and not selling or just liquidating the business and then sort of going into real estate. And the reason I had those three options was because I had sort of two areas that I was focusing on. One of them was serving high-end homes, offering a really good service. And then on the other side was offering a, a less than premium service, serving investors. So very cheap, very in and out quickly, uh, you know, pre-flip, pre-market type landscaping just just really quick stuff and so i had been really exposed to a lot of investors locally and one of those investors i had done a fair bit of work with had heard of the opportunity to or, or had heard of the opportunity that we were going to be selling that business and had offered for me to come work for him and i would have been at the time his first employee and throughout working with him, his only employee. And so I was really exposed to doing a lot of various different things of helping him organize his business, build his business, acquisitions, raise capital, all those types of things. And so we had spent about two years together, had became partners in, in various capacities. And 
at the time I had been 21 when I got into it. So I didn't really know what I was getting myself into as, you know, in regards to partnerships, which I mean, we can share some stories on that later, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't what I anticipated it being. And so I decided to part ways. A lot of interesting stories around that. But at the time of parting ways was when we decided to go out on our own and build our own thing, uh, which was RTA Holdings Group. So that's kind of the story of how I got into it. I got exposed to it through a lawn care business, always had a passion for real estate, had gone to various different seminars, but thought I would pursue it through architecture. Wasn't for me, dropped out. And then as I sold the business, decided to work for somebody who was in real estate. And after two years of being it for full time, I just went out on my own. Uh, in, in essence, that's the Coles notes. And so what strategies do you focus on as far as real estate goes? I would say that our primary strategy and likely a primary strategy for many people has been the Burr strategy. Um, <clears throat> prior to getting into real estate, we weren't financially well off by any means. Uh, you know, I come from a, a run of the mill family, if you will. So not much financial backing. And so we wanted to pursue the Burr strategy, which I think is so great for so many people and have done that pretty well since the start as in my bio we've got like we've been involved in various capacities but our primary one is the burst strategy we've also recently set a goal to get into the infill development and larger development space as well and have been involved in that and on a much smaller scale so we're looking to build out about 500 doors in the next 10 years um that's something that we recently developed and are working on our first couple projects now and with the recent economic circumstances, we are having discussions with various people about just raising funds, investing them in assets at, you know, 30%, well, 70% loan to value and kind of just parking the capital for a while just because of the market and the way it's, it's moving. A lot of people say the burst strategy is a lot tougher to achieve these days. When I'm talking to a lot of banks, banks are tightening up their rules and things. I don't find it that challenging. There's a lot more people penetrating the market. So I think a lot of those opportunities are getting gobbled up unless you have various off-market you know, strategies. Um, but it's still serving us well, and that will continue to be our strategy probably till the end of time. But we are exploring those two other strategies at the moment as well. All right. So let's dig into it a little bit. You said that you were doing the uh, buy, renovate, refi, and rent strategy. Um, what does that look like in the Winnipeg area? Because is it a change of use or is it just a lift? It's usually a lift. Uh, not often is it a change of use. There's a lot of red tape, which I'm sure there are where you guys are from as well. Uh, maybe not you, Rob. Costa Rica, I'm not sure what the real estate looks like out there, but um, I would imagine a little bit less red tape, but that's, uh, that's just an assumption, so I have no idea. For us primarily, and I would say largely for most people, we're buying you know poorly managed assets, assets with problems, whether it be tenants, uh, vacancies. I don't really touch fire damage, but you know, that's an opportunity if there was some sort of reason for that property to be vacated. Uh, in certain capacities, we have gone in and done a different type of lift, i.e., you know, we've done conversions on some blocks where there'll be six, eight, 10 units, and we'll go in and develop units in the basement with permits and variances and various different things. So that's another opportunity where we've been able to take space that originally wouldn't have been used or was there and then, you know, found ways of, of maximizing that space and therefore increasing the value of that property substantially. So what we would call, you know, forced depreciation, for example. Uh, another similar example is developing secondary suites, usually in bungalows or two stories. 
So not necessarily, um, you know, building from the ground up and doing it that way, but there is still ways of developing units contained in an existing asset and forcing its appreciation that way. Uh, but you asked me what that looks like. So, you know, for us, we're always in the market looking for underperforming assets is what we would consider them, right? Um, any of the list of items that I had described prior, but usually it's an asset that is not maximized to its full potential. Those are the type of opportunities we're looking for. And then we're really defining what is the highest and best use for this asset and how can we maximize A, its value, and then B, how can we increase its revenue and decrease its expenses? And if we can hit those three things, usually the property after a purchase and after having done some renovations to it or, or being creative in the capacity of you know, increasing rents or various different things, then the asset itself in the lender's eyes will have increased in value and therefore, we're able to refinance most, if not all, of the capital that was uh, put into that asset originally. I don't know if that describes it really well. Uh, I don't know if you want the perfect example of the Burr strategy, but um, that was, you know, in essence, kind of how we operate and what we do, which, I mean, is similar for everybody. But I can break down the actual Burr strategy a little bit more if, if you guys are interested. What do the numbers look like around in Winnipeg currently? Is that And is that has that changed a lot in the last, you know, year well, or two I years? Guess if before you talk numbers, like let's talk, what is this, is this apartment buildings? I know you did mention adding legal basement suites, but is it more uh, bigger buildings or is it more single family homes that you're adding secondary suites? The <clears throat> secondary suites are primarily on single family homes and then turning them into what would be considered a secondary suite. When we, when COVID had happened because of the marketplace as across Canada, what we saw was that single families and smaller residential multifamily was getting ridiculous offers. If it was selling privately, there was so many news headlines and stuff that a lot, a lot of even private sellers were aware that they could probably go to market and get substantially more regardless of their situation. So we kind of got pushed out of that market and right before COVID and sort of happened, we had been in discussions with a few lenders and we, we had spent about six months really learning what it would look like to do apartment blocks. And over the last two years, we've pretty well, ex I, I would say extensively, most of our portfolio has been acquiring larger, like multifamily or apartment blocks. So we got pushed out of the smaller market, moved to that market. Now we're going back into the single family and smaller multifamily while also doing the larger apartment block type assets because the market's changed again. All right. Sorry, Sandy. So which, which, which one did you want to talk about the numbers for? Great question. Like, I'm glad you started with that because that uh, numbers are kind of vague, right? Um, I, you know, I don't want, I guess I'm curious what, uh, has the market evolved a lot in the last couple of years? Like, is it the same market as, as, as we're seeing in Southern Ontario or like most markets across Canada are, are some fairly affected by the last year or two um, interest rates uh, being a main major thing there. Is that, have you seen the same thing in Winnipeg? Has that had a major impact on pricing and, and everything? Winnipeg, uh, you know, if we were to talk about Winnipeg as a, as a place to invest generally, it's generally quite stable. And we don't see swings like you would in perhaps the GTA or Vancouver or anywhere of, of that nature. The barrier to entry is still pretty low. Um, generally speaking. Now, when we look at the last two fiscal years, COVID specifically, 
we were seeing offers on homes anywhere from a few hundred thousand, you know, 300,000, a thousand square foot bungalow selling for a hundred K over ask. And then on million dollar assets, I'm talking residential, we were still seeing a couple hundred thousand dollars over ask tons of offers. <clears throat> so that kind of moved a lot of people out of that market, if you will, like it was just a highly competitive uh, there was less that was on the market being one of the the triggers. So mm -hmm. it affected it in that capacity. It, it increased the the prices of homes because appraisals and banks are really going to look like, you know, what's sold in the last six to 12 months. And so they're using those sort of metrics, right? So you had a lot of people that were able to still get those higher values for the homes. We haven't seen a, a significant drop in Winnipeg. Um, However, we've certain pockets have seen, you know, anywhere from a drop of 15% to 10%, 10 to 15% of drop in value. Uh, there are still some neighborhoods that haven't really been seen any, any reduction in values. So it's been interesting to see Winnipeg or, or I, yeah, Winnipeg specifically over the last several decades has always increased, not anything substantial, your standard two to 5% year over year. Sounds lovely. <laughs> yeah, it's very easy, guys. Like it's 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 very easy, and you know, right now we are seeing a little bit of that that fall in pricing, which has proved to be challenging. Uh, if you're flipping, it's challenging because you don't really know where that market's going to be at at the time of listing. With the refinances as well, the banks are a little bit more skeptical. You know, they used to take appraisals for a year. Some of them are valid up to three years, depending which financial institution you're using. Now they want you to get brand new appraisals sometimes so it's interesting uh but it hasn't seen again we haven't seen substantial swings on either side um it's been relatively stable hmm. yeah it's an interesting market like like uh you know compared to not too far west of you in alberta is pretty volatile and then mm -hmm. ontario i mean it has been somewhat volatile but it's 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 has it has you know pretty upward swings for the most part in the last mm -hmm. couple decades um 5%-ish a year would be nice. That's what I always tell people is to, what they should expect, 4 or 5, yeah. give or take. Um, yeah. And then you see 15 mm -hmm. and then negative 15 or something in the last year. It's been a, been a little different than that. But that is generally still the, the number that, uh, that I like to use over the long, long, long term. Um, I think that's yeah. a fair number to expect in real estate. Challenges? Uh, so, Maybe want to get into some challenges with all this? Well, before you do, let's just talk about – because you, you wanted to talk about numbers. So you said you've okay. moved into the larger building space. So do you have like some kind of formulation that you that you use to get your like per door, you know, buy price? Like what does that look like? Well, we run all of our numbers internally. So, you know, sometimes people ask you, what's your average cost for per door? We've bought stuff in some of the lower class neighborhoods, not like the ghetto ghetto, but lower class where, you know, we've had some buildings torched, for example. Um, we've bought doors for $50 a door, upwards of 85 to 90 and refinanced out at 135, 145, 155 range on an apartment block. We've also bought things in better areas in Winnipeg where I think we've got one right now that we've got tied up. It's townhouses. Uh, it's 2.5 for 16 units. What's the math on that? 
so we're going into that one at 150 a door and i think we're refinancing somewhere just over just over two a door is kind of the projection so everything we do we'll look at a couple years of financials we'll look at the current rents we'll look at what we can increase the rents to and then it's all just calculations right so the beautiful thing and and one of the substantial differences with apartment blocks which i really enjoy is it's treated more so like a business the asset itself is treated like a business so the value is based on a cap rate and what it can produce and what it can sustain whereas residential is purely based on on sales um so for us it's just a matter of how good is the neighborhood how much renovations does it need what can we do to increase the rents and pending all those things, it'll usually shoot out with the number. But I would say that typically um, we're buying doors for around 75 to 125 K and refinancing it out at about 150 to 185 kind of range on apartment blocks. How does that sound? A door. It's a lot cheaper. Appetizing. Yeah. Very attractive. Yeah. yeah it's, it's appetizing, but yeah. Winnipeg, everybody's cheap. So yeah. your, your rental rates aren't anything like Ontario. Well, from what I know, anyways, aren't much like Toronto. So, you know, to give you numbers as well on an apartment block, we're probably only cash flowing prior to COVID. We were doing quite well. We were cash flowing about 200 a door with the current rates. We're somewhere we try and not go any less than a hundred dollars a door uh, with the current market. But I mean, a hundred dollars a door, a lot of people think that they can buy a couple assets in real estate and they're, they're out in Costa Rica swimming in a pool and, and their lifestyle is funded. Uh, it's not really the case, unfortunately, in, in today's market. So just to give you guys some more numbers there, uh, yeah, the typical cash flow is about 100 to 150 a door now, uh, usually on yeah. the, the lower side. And I was, it's nice uh, to hear, though, that that's still a sustainable business model. It's not something you look at and go, oh, that's not worth it. Because, first of all, you've increased the value, and that's why you were able to refinance it in order to, to get a lot of your money back. So the money mm -hmm. invested is quite low, if not zero in some cases, and you still got this cash-flowing asset, right? And so I think that that's the important thing that people need to understand. It's not, it's not that because a lot of times the barrier for entry in people's mind is where am I going to come up with all this money and, mm -hmm. and how am I going to live without it once I put it into the right. building? Right. So the strategy that you're using to be able to recapture it. And now, even though you're only making a hundred, $150 a door on figure it out, if you got 12 or yeah. 15 doors, that's pretty good monthly income. And mm -hmm. if one of them is vacant, you're still doing it. Okay. Um, but also you can take that money and put it into something else. And the important part to recognize as well is, you know, the cash flow is one part of the business. We're, we're in it for the long term. And I think a lot of our investors are as well. There's appreciation, there's tax write-offs, there's, uh, there's the resale. Um, you know, at the time of selling that asset, there's a ton of capital that's there as well. It should be available if you paid that asset down. So, Cash flow is a very small equation. And I think some people, A, that's cash flow that you've been able to create after you've increased the property's value substantially and therefore now have no capital left in the property, right? So that's pretty good. You yeah. basically bought a property with no money left in it and you're still cash flowing 100, 150. If you were to go and buy it as is and drop 20 to 30% down payment, 
well, your debt's substantially less. So yeah, you might be cash flowing more, but now you've locked up all your cash, well, or a portion thereof for a substantial amount of time. Right. So, and if you were going to sell your building now, that's what the person buying it would be looking at, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, we don't need to dive too deep on this, but landlord friendly or not landlord friendly Manitoba as a, as a whole, because that's the, that's the battle we always hear in Ontario these days is that it's, yeah, appreciation has been great, but gosh, there's, you got one tenant issue and it's, it's a year of pain. And, you know, I know we know it's province by province in Canada kind of around this topic. So what's Winnipeg or what's Manitoba? Like? Two points. Um, I haven't had to, like, I've had pretty good success. I've got some very interesting stories on how I've handled it. If you're creative and you know what you're doing and you're genuinely a nice person with what we call the residential tenancies branch, you can get very far. If you're not pleasant to deal with, or if you think you were Mr. Know-it-all, which at the end of the day, we do know quite a bit when it comes to this. And we usually are in the right. Well, occasionally. Um, if you bring that approach to the residential tenancies branch, it's a bureaucracy, you'll be red flagged and till the end of your dying days, you're going to be fighting with them and it's going to be an uphill battle. So fortunately you have to bite your tongue. You have to be very pleasant to deal with. Um, you gotta do a bit of kissing, uh, kissing up if you will. Uh, but it's very easy to navigate that. If you're by the book, you do what's right. You build a good kind of background to RTB and that just comes through you know, increasing your rents legally and filing paperwork. And when there's a tenant issue, addressing it properly, um, it's very easy for that, for investors, especially to think that they're, they can be creative or, and not to say you shouldn't be creative, but creative in a way where you're operating in the gray or, you know, you try and do something a little bit shady. And there's one, there's one, you know, organization that manages all the rentals in Manitoba. So if you screw up, uh, that's going to follow you. So it's an interesting area to navigate. I would say that generally most people are like, it's not landlord friendly. We have what's called registered rents. Uh, we are confined by that. There's only certain ways to increase that. You have to do renovations. You have to apply for it. Tenants can appeal it. There's a lot of challenges around that. And and same thing, as you guys said, a tenant could not pay for months. You need to go to RTB, you need to do an appeal process, then you get a, a, an order of possession, then you got to bring in the sheriff, that's a whole nightmare. So same idea, you can spend months and months and months dealing with that. Um, so similar, it's to, challenging. Ontario. similar yeah. to Ontario, at least, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Always a challenge with that stuff. Uh, always some challenges that come up with that stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of kind of something you work through. And once you know how to do it, and you, you, you're a good, honest person in general, I think I think that's the takeaway there is your that that goes a long ways. If you're building a long term portfolio, a long term strategy here, that's yeah. really required. And, yeah. And one final <clears throat> point, right? I think, you know, these these government bodies are put in place, like the registered rents were put in place in Manitoba as as legislated, because there was an investor, I forget the story. But anyways, it was some really shady stuff, probably like a 1000 units. And the guy just like, so anyways, I forget the story, so I'm not even going to try and sum it up. But these things are usually in place because there's been somebody that has come before us and has done something wrong or leveraged it to their advantage. And now there's these you know, bodies that sort of manage and oversee these things to make sure that some lords don't do what they're doing. Investors don't do what they're doing to some degree that's, that's bad. Uh, could it be a little less challenging and restricted to investors that are trying to put out good housing? Yeah. 
But if you kind of come to it from that, from that sort of perspective, it's a lot easier to address those situations and deal with it. Cause there are a lot of slumlords out there. There are a lot of, of bad landlords and there are a lot of bad tenants as well. And RTB recognizes that too. And, and those government bodies recognize that as well. If, if you're a decent person and you've done things well, typically. Yeah. There's very little common sense in, in the, uh, in the way that these organizations function too, right? Like you were mm -hmm. saying, so you've got to play nice. Um, and also I think the other thing to remember is, you know, the tenants oftentimes, like I, I, I've seen even like other investors get really, really emotional about a situation that they're going through with a tenant and you don't realize that it's not towards you. Like they could care who it's, it could be me. It could be Sandy. You know, it's a situation that they're going through in their life. Right. And it's mm -hmm. not anything that they've got against you. There was one time where a tenant, you know, was, furious about a situation at one point and i was there with my property manager and you know i i had to train my property manager to calm down because you know she was like she can't talk to you that way you know we've got to we've got to make sure that she understands that this is the way it is and that's the way it is and i'm like no we don't need to explain anything you know when you follow the process things work out the way that they're supposed to work out doesn't matter what we say here. We can argue in the driveway all day long and it's not going to get us any different results. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned increasing revenue. So what are some of the methods that you would use to go about increasing revenue? Uh, well, the first one being the rental rates, right? If we're buying underperforming assets, that's usually a reflection of low rents poorly managed, um, whatever that might look like, vacancies, various different things. So for us, we're always looking at an asset and going, how do we increase the rental rates? So there's, we did a building recently where it was six, sorry, it was five two bedrooms and one one bedroom. And so these units were very large. So we actually managed to come up with a layout where we were able to take the two bedrooms and turn them into three bedroom units, punch another egress window out the side of the building in each one of those units, repurposed it, took some walls down. And that was a way for us to substantially increase revenue because we took a two bedroom and turned it into a three bedroom, which therefore demanded a lot more rental like market rates uh, in the sense of, of revenue. Another example. Sorry. If, Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. um, you had five two-bedroom units and yeah. you turned all five of them into three-bedroom units. Yeah, and we left the one-bedroom unit as a one-bedroom unit. My my first question is, obviously, you need to have the building vacant in order to do that. Yeah, you do. So uh, almost 100% of the time, we vacate all the tenants or buy assets that are vacant, try and negotiate that on the front end. Um, that's something that we always try and do. How, how that's very difficult in most situations. Uh, if you have a good process, it's not. Um, for us, primarily, you, we bought a building recently, another eight unit building, for example. We had three out of eight units that were vacant on possession. So we bought it with five tenants, some of which had been there for more than 10 years. And we had vacated all those tenants within 30 days. And we had taken that building from a purchase price of 835000 
we spent 208,000 in renovations and we had been in and out with a refinance at 1.4 million and 31,000 in four months. Okay. See, that's great. So, so um, I'm just giving that as an example of how quickly you can do it if you, if you have good systems down. So right. for us, what we're always trying mm -hmm. to do, and maybe I think this might be valuable with people that are doing, you know, tenant challenges. So I'll just give you guys kind of in a cool note, our process. So if there's any property that has tenants that reside in that property on possession, and we know that we're renovating it in its entirety, which is typically the case for us, we'll usually on possession day, we'll grab a $10 Tim card, we'll meet, you know, we'll knock on the doors, we'll let them know we're coming there. And we'll basically just say, hey, we're the new purchasers. Um, you know, it's great to meet you. Can we get all of your contact information, your cell phone, blah, blah, blah. We'll check if we have their existing lease on file or not. And we want to really kind of build a friendship, right? So, so nice to meet you guys. How long have you lived here? What have been some of the challenges? Um, blah, 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 blah. We want to get as much history as we can. This is usually used in a negotiation at a later time because they're going to likely say, well, you know, I'm so glad you're the new owner. This building's been trashed. It hasn't been maintained. The old owner didn't care, whatever the case may be, right? And then they're usually going to ask you, what are you doing here? And you're going to say, well, I'm the new owner and we're actually here. Uh, we wanted to, A, give you this, this Tim card to kind of just say, you know, hello and welcome. And we want to just start this relationship off on a good foot. I do have some bad news, though. Um, the bad news is that, you know, our intentions are, as you know, and based on the things you just told me, our intentions are to renovate this building because of blank, right? Poorly managed, you got pests you know we just bought a duplex that's full of roaches for example how do you think that conversation went down well we got to treat the roaches you got to get out um so we try and understand the situation we we try and be very sympathetic in the approach because these tenants it's their home regardless of their living circumstances and you have to be able to recognize that too right if somebody knocked on your door and said hey i need you to move out it wouldn't be a pleasant conversation so we're very sympathetic um we'll usually let them know that those are our intentions and then I'll typically say, however, that being said, we kind of have a couple directions we can go in, right? So the first one being, we can leave you with some information or sorry, well, you know, with, with this being said, there's kind of two approaches. We can work really collaboratively together, meaning we'll help you find another property. We'll, you know, help you in whatever capacity you need. So that's one thing that we offer. We try and be valuable to them. And I've actually picked up tenants kind of as a chauffeur service. They didn't have a vehicle. We scheduled a bunch of walkthroughs at, at properties and I drove them around and showed them different properties to help them, to help them move. Um, we've got different team members now that do that, but that's, you know, the level of kind of care we take in dealing with these tenants. And that actually is very helpful when you're dealing with RTB and dealing with increasing rents. Cause oftentimes the optics are bad on investors that are doing that. So if you can take a lot of care in dealing with them, that's an important element. So we try and paint this picture of working collaboratively with them, helping them move. And then we always do a cash for keys scenario. So as per the law, you have to give $500 for moving costs or up to $500 towards moving costs. Then we'll also offer them a cash incentive. So that's something we budget. We've found that the sweet spot is usually about $500 cash. Uh, sometimes we've paid upwards of $4,000 to some tenants that are really tough to deal with. Uh, but typically it's about $500 cash. So we'll kind of paint that picture. And then on the second picture, we'll say, you know, the second way we can deal with this is I can, I can leave here today. 
and you can see me as the enemy and we could just basically go to war and then I'll give them a few examples. I'll say, we'll likely win, but it's going to be an unfortunate situation for the two of us. So I just want to let you know that, you know, there's those two approaches. I want to come here collaboratively and share that, you know, the assets sold, we're the new owners. Our intentions are to renovate because it's been again, blank, whatever the reasons are purchased. And that's the approach we want to take. And we want to help you out with this. So here's basically a letter. Here's a Tim's card. Here's your lease. Here's the options you have, i.e. cash for keys. I'm going to leave that with you because I know that this is probably sh coming to you with shock. You may have other family members you need to talk to. You probably weren't expecting this. So I'm going to leave that with you. And I would like you to call me within the next few days and let me know what your thoughts are on how you want to deal with this. Do you want us to help you move? Do you want to relocate? Are you going to stick your, your feet in the ground and say, I'm not moving? And if so, we'll deal with it accordingly. And I found that that's worked. We've usually been able to get people out in 30 days. So most people want to take the collaborative approach. Some of them will act as though they're taking the collaborative approach and will screw you in the end. And sometimes we've bought properties where we've dragged that out for about three months and it's basically a squatter situation. And I'll show up with a security team and I'll just drive up onto the boulevard, flash my high beams at 10 o'clock at night, walk in with a security team and basically boot everybody out and give them $500 cash once they've packed their bags. That's been a perfect example of a five unit we, we bought with full of, it was basically run by a gang and uh, in a decent area, but run by a gang. And that's how we, you know, dealt with that. So we'll give them usually a certain period of time before we really step in and get creative. And in that capacity, we did that and they moved and they signed something because we did give them cash, but they really needed to be pushed out of there. Um, so that's an example of going to war. The other one is working collaborative, collaboratively and helping them out. And I found that that's been actually one of the questions we've received so many times is how do you deal with that situation? And so I just wanted to kind of go into context and share that with you guys. Yeah, that's it's very awesome. in-depth. That's, that's, that's for sure. Um, you've got your, so you got, you got scripts to go along with that, which I love, which means that whether you're doing it or someone else on your team is doing it, it's yep. a system that's going to happen regularly. It's not just like, you're not winging it. And like I said, you have to tell your staff or whoever's listening to this, that's going to implement that tip. You have to be very conscious of be sympathetic, but actually like put yourself in their shoes. Cause if you come off fake or you come off unauthentic, it's not going to go well. You really have to be delicate in how you treat that situation because it is not a good situation to ask somebody to be displaced from their home some of which have lived there for 10 15 20 years yeah yeah so um let's you've touched on some already what, any other big challenges stand out over your uh, your career that uh that you want to share that you've, you've learned something from and really you know really got you on the right path forward afterwards yeah so i mean the partnership is one example um <laughs> That from a very young age, I'm not going to go into it because to be honest with you, it's whatever it's, um, it's actually been a blessing, but I can go into a lot of crazy stories on how that worked at a very young age and how I had to kind of overcome that. But that was a very challenging situation because usually when you get into partnerships, if it's a first partnership, you don't really know what to look for. You don't necessarily know what you're getting into. You don't know what strengths there each party brings. Um, so at the very young age, right after being married at 22, um, right before turning 23, my this partner of mine was at our wedding. And within about 30 days of coming back to Winnipeg, there was a whole fiasco of things that took place that led me to basically depart ways. And um, needless to say, there was arguments, there was uh, police involved, there was all kinds of 
interesting stuff. And we had burned through all of our savings at the age of 22. And I had to look at my wife and say, well, we're starting off our marriage, basically me losing what was my career at the time, if you will, and starting over from scratch. So although it was a very challenging thing, it led me to really recognize that, you know, I built a lawn care business. It was very small. In this case, I was working with a partner, but I still depended on that partner in certain capacities. So it taught me that like, you really have to bet on yourself and you have to trust in yourself and you have to recognize that nobody else is going to do anything for you. So you really have to take that action yourself and, and just understand that at the end of the day, all things fall on you. I don't know if I'm summarizing it well, but essentially just bet on yourself, depend on yourself, be sure that at the end of the day, the person that you're looking at in the mirror is the hardest worker you have in your network. And if you're the hardest worker in your network or in that room, you're bound to succeed at some point. And um, yeah, another one, age and lack of experience. Um, when you're dealing with larger apartment blocks and assets, there's oftentimes a lot of scrutiny of, you know, do you have the capacity to pull this off? Um, Usually there's doubt, a lot of different things. So we focused on just building a brand and uh, making sure to capture what we've been able to accomplish and what we do. And we've, you know, got a pretty extensive social media contract with a social media team that helps us sort of put that out there. Um, and now it's getting to the point where, you know, even at 26, after a couple of years of doing this, I got people reaching out to me with off-market apartment blocks of over a hundred units and various different things. And it's great. Um, so that was another challenge is just age and lack of experience and therefore resources and support because you don't have a big network when you start out. So I've just found that the way to overcome that is just work relentlessly, work really, really hard, put in more hours, shake more hands, have more conversations, offer more value to the world. Um, you just got to work 10 times harder than the guy who's 35, 45, whatever age that's been in the game for a little bit longer than you. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, I think will resonate. We've got a lot of great younger listeners that have probably hear that and, 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 mm -hmm. and have had, had had challenges with that in some way, shape or form. Um, I think I was there at one point in life. I don't know if I get that anymore. Um, but certainly, yeah. uh, certainly when you're younger ish, whatever that is, um, some people that are 40, 45, 50, even feel like they're too young, um, in, in, in various ways. Right. So I think that's, that mindset is hard work certainly helps overcome that. Um, when you, you know, that first impression might, you know, people might not be all there with you, but that can be mm -hmm. overcome pretty fast. Like you just said with, yeah. with, with, with really hard work, I guess is the easiest way to say that. Um, but hard work yeah. over time consistently totally squashes any of that, uh, you know, and, Correct. and anyone can do it on a one day of hard work, but when you constantly are showing up over and over and over, and then you're, they're seeing you in other areas they're seeing you, at, you know, in other meetups or properties or events or whatever that's like that just goes away and right and anyone can do that um anyone yeah. can can really overcome that um and there's lots of various versions of that right it could be too old or it could be um right. whatever different race different uh different uh, demographic of some sorts there's so many versions of that exactly um, great stuff any other any other challenges you want to mention or i'd love to talk about too um your team a little bit because you've, you've developed yeah. a little more leverage around yourself too, right? Um, it's not just you running the show here. So I'd love to learn mm -hmm. a little more about what that looks like or how that's evolved over the years. Yeah. Um, I guess 20 end of 2021, middle of 2021 into 22, we transitioned from being essentially a one man operation to fast forward today, essentially um, with a recent hire in place 
a team of six to seven now. Um, and I think you're probably, what have I learned through this? I think is what you'd kind of asked as well there a little bit, kind of just giving some context as to what it looked like and, and how we've done things. We've kind of done departments and then have people in place. And then we plan to just over time, grow them into sort of management and then people under them. So we've kind of created an organization chart, if you will, or what's called an org chart. Um, I think one of the things that we did from the start was we we knew that we wanted to build something big. We knew we wanted to build what I call an empire, if you will, uh, being 26 and, and having a, a life ahead of me. I know that there's, you know, sky's the limit, right? There's a lot that I can build and I am very ambitious and therefore I want to. And so naturally, you know that you can't go any further than your your own ability without putting specialized people in a place and without having a team backing you uh, in, in essence. And so we from the beginning just looked at where do we want to go what does the future hold what does it look like and then we sort of structured a business around that what type of departments would we have you know leasing and rental department operations department marketing department um business development and then we've sort of hired people according to those those things it's been quite a journey um not having any sort of education business education or anything around what does it look like to hire somebody what does it look like to have hr what is hr what are policies how do i compensate somebody what is holidays and stat holidays it, like i knew nothing uh i don't have much working experience in a regular job either so and when i did i wasn't paying attention to those things um so one of the first things i did was i i figured out what is our vision and then built sort of a kind of company organization chart around that. And then two, I went out and found consultants, uh, not coaches, but consultants. So I've got, you know, a pretty large team of just people that I can call at any moment and they'll pick up the phone and I'll go, their rate might be $500 an hour. I pay people upwards of $1,000 an hour. And in five minutes I get the answer and I implement it right away. So that's been one of the techniques that I've used to, to scale. That as well has allowed me to, I've tried to build a team that does that stays relatively small and works around me. And if they're not meeting certain performance expectations, I fire fast, I hire slow. Uh, there's, you know, we're, we're tackling big things. We don't, our company is not a place for, for the week, if you will, um, you know, snowflakes and things like that, right? Like we've got performance expectations. We treat people really, really well. We've got bonus structures, good compensation, all kinds of, of great stuff that we've built out. But a few lessons I've learned um, through kind of building a team. The first thing was I spent so much time building the infrastructure and checklists and systems and videos because I wanted it to be perfect for the team, which I think is an important element. But I sacrificed operating in the business. So doing the business development, acquiring more deals, spending, you know, every waking, not every waking moment, but... I would sometimes not look at a deal for three days. I would sometimes go look at a deal and then I wouldn't write an offer for three days because I was prioritizing building the business. So that is one mistake you can make very quickly is, is usually every person has a certain skill set or a certain gift they bring in, in business or in anything really. And for me, it was putting together those deals, right? So raising capital and putting together deals was at the forefront what I'm really good at. Um, so in building a team, I didn't do as much of that. And that actually put us into a pretty tough spot in business because there was a lack of revenue and a lack of assets that were being acquired. And so I had to quickly transition out of that. So 
one lesson for somebody is, you know, find a good balance between the two and don't jeopardize your business and the results that it needs to produce and, and feeding that beast, so to speak, while building a team. Um, Can I ask a question? Yeah. yeah. So in essence, what I'm gathering is that your first hire, you sort of said they're going to do mistakenly, they're going to do what I was doing and I'm going to do something else. Um, is that? No, um, not quite. So I had them do not those things, but what I had done was I basically took a retreat for three days and I outlined every single thing that took place in my business. There was about 300 and some odd tasks, signing offers, uh, leases, financing, and then breaking all those into subtasks and anything that was a repeatable task that a human had to do that wasn't a software. I figured out what that looked like, what was the most efficient way to do it. I built a checklist around it. And then that was what I delegated at the time to that first team member. Okay. I kept doing the things that were non-repeatable tasks or things that quite frankly, just, I wouldn't be able to train. Took your specialized a deal skill. Yet. Took the specialized skill and focused on that. So because of that, I spent so much time building the infrastructure. Uh, how was I going to manage these people? How was I going to process payroll? You know, various different capacities of things that I needed to do. And I spent so much time focusing on that, that I wasn't doing the specialized thing that quite frankly, none of my team could do because I hadn't hired or trained somebody for that. And so it, it costed us some, some business, if you will, um, to some, to but some that's going to happen, right? Like if, if you're going to build, if yeah. you're going to get scale, you've got to do what you did. You know, otherwise you have to, but it I, sounds like you did it quite efficiently to be honest. Well, yeah, I like to think I did. And I overcome those challenges relatively quickly, but um, you know, there was a time where we had to cut back a lot of expenses just to cover overhead. You know, I've got full-time salaries of $4,000 a month just for marketing. And, and you do that across several boards and um, most real estate businesses, if you're acquiring for the, passive income and, and a cash flow business, then you don't really have an active business either, which is what we didn't have. So that also poses a challenge because if you don't have, you know, cash injections into the business, at some point you're going to run out of savings and, or your cash flow can over, you know, at a hundred dollars a door can only cover so much of your, your overhead. So that's where I said it got pretty uncomfortable for a short period of time before solving it. Very good. Um, okay. Where do you see your business going in the future? Well, uh, petting how you want that question answered. I mean, Henry, I see. I want it answered how you want it answered. Okay, fair enough. The well, they're both, we want they're the both locally. Um, yeah, they're both local companies. Um, they're, I guess, relatively successful. Um, you know, they're, they're small companies. They're doing whatever they're supposed to do, if you will. Uh, but I am very passionate so we and, and ambitious, and so we want to expand NREIC across Canada with localized chapters in each province doing what we want to do, which is what we believe is a bit unique compared to a lot of the other groups, which I'm not going to go into, but we'll do that. It's a non-for-profit as well. Uh, so with that, we do eventually want to expand, and that will be probably what I call my legacy thing um but building self-sustaining communities globally with the profits from NREIC as it acting as a non-profit so that'll be something that happens probably in 20 years or so um after we've really expanded NREIC across canada and obviously generated a lot of profits to be able to do that reinvest those uh and then on the arte side um like i said we want to acquire 500 or, or rather build 500 new build doors in the next 10 years 
we want to hold about a thousand doors under management, which I think is a pretty small goal, um, considering where we're at already. But nonetheless, we want to accomplish that in the next 10 years as well. And around 2033, my wife and I want to move to Kelowna and uh, we'll probably have already started a family, but that's kind of where we want to lay low. And then I'll have a headquarters kind of in Winnipeg. I'll have boots on the ground and then depending on what other provinces we want to pursue, we're likely going to duplicate what we've done locally here into other provinces. And then I'll spend probably 50% of my time being a stay at home, not a stay at home, but a dad. Uh, focusing my priorities on that with my wife and doing passion projects. So whatever that looks like, I'm still doing a lot of real estate, but passion projects. But I want both businesses sustaining a certain amount of growth year over year, but having the right people in, in place. So basically a manager doing what would have been my specialized gift, which is acquisitions and capital raising. And uh, likely there'll likely be a syndication around then. So that's kind of the 10 year goal. And then after 2033, just moving on to flying on a plane and moving from province to province, checking up on projects, looking at new acquisitions, doing passion projects, and uh, I guess building self-sustaining communities globally through NREIC. So there we go. Fantastic. That's so exciting, isn't it? Yeah. You know? It's got to be your plane, though, at that point. It can't be a plane. It's got to be like well, the, it's, the Arate, yeah. Arate Airlines. Or yeah, it's, yeah, it's my plan, I guess. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <clears throat> no, I love that. Yeah. That's that's very clear, concise, big goals. And you know what? Like, I, I, you know, myself, I think you should shoot bigger. But uh, that's, but, you know, that, that summarizes our 10 year goal, right? So like I said, yeah, I no, mean, a thousand, a thousand doors and another 500 new build doors is 1500 doors in 10 years. I mean, we're well on our way already. So uh, it'll probably grow from there. But I like to be somewhat reasonable. I like to be very ambitious, but somewhat reasonable as well. Yeah. Um, so the only the only reason I say that is because I mean a lot of people totally accomplish their goals, but I mean yeah. another another point to put across to people is you you shoot for the moon and get halfway there, right? Yep. And so it's a pretty good place to be as well. And so yep. so it's great. Those those goals are really big. I think they're very accomplished. I think the number of doors is probably on the smaller side. Um, you know it, and interestingly enough, to your point, when I set that goal. Uh, just a quick note, I didn't know how I was going to achieve it. And that was coming from a point where, you know, we had mostly been buying like 15 unit blocks and we could turn those around in six to eight to 10 months. So when doing the math, I was like, well, that's a fair bit of real estate to do in 10 years. And then quickly from there, you know, I went and put in uh, eight parcels of land together and I'm working on a 250 unit new build development. And then I went and put a 283 units, 18 story tower under conditions in Winnipeg, which for reasons I'm not going to mention, uh, fell apart and has since been gone conditional with a company out of Alberta. But quickly right there, you know, you've got 500 plus units that you're actively working on, never mind all the other projects. And you quickly went, or I quickly went, and I think what most people recognize is even if they set really big goals, once they start moving towards it, you quickly realize that your mind and people and various different things start to happen, which really show you that they're actually quite achievable. And it's also why I recommend that on an annual basis, you review those goals and maybe increase them or, or expand them on an annual basis, because I set, you know, that goal last year and already I'm like a thousand doors is probably a lot smaller than I should probably be shooting for. But, Fantastic. Well, um, I, we appreciate all the stuff you've shared yeah. with us today. It's been fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. How can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more? 
Yeah, so there, I guess I come in three parts. So there's myself personally, there's Arte Holdings Group, and then there's NREIC. Um, I find that the best way to get in touch or find these other resources is just to find me on Facebook and or Instagram, Dakota Sharon, D-A-K-O-T-A-H-C-H-A-R-R-O-N. You should probably be able to find me because both my companies are in my bio, which is Arte Holdings Group and NREIC. And then I've got a link tree. So just hit that. And then there will be a plethora of like, if you want to schedule a call with me, if you want to join the community, if you want to invest with us, all those sort of resources and various things will be there. So that's honestly the best way, um, depending what you guys want to do and, and shameless plugs. I can just give you guys the link tree uh, link as well. If people want to click through it, but that's yeah, the best way. I try and, you know, I don't offer any coaching or, or really any, anything like that either. So naturally I try and give as much value as I can. So if somebody does want to find that link tree, I mean, we've got various different resources. I'm always trying to put out various resources and we've got, you know, free ask me anything once a month that I try and do to serve people as well. So I just want to be valuable to anybody that kind of comes into contact with me as much as I can. So yeah, there we go. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. And, uh, and, and we're going to have all the links in the show notes. Cool. Right, Sandy. Absolutely. So be good. Absolutely. I love Linktree. Linktree uh, makes things so much easier. So if it they go follow you on, on Instagram, yeah. it'll be the easiest way I'm, I'm thinking. And the, I'm sure yep. you got your Linktree up there in the top um, yep. and they can find everything you're doing. Bingo. Beautiful. Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? They can use my link tree too, I think. That's what I'm going to say. That's it. I'm going to start saying that. Go follow me on Instagram is the easiest way or or Facebook. And I got link trees too uh, that I have never promoted, but that is a really good way because all my, all my crap's in there and you can find out what I'm doing and find out all the different things I ever talk about. You can go join us, call me, book a meeting with me, all sorts of stuff in there. So that's the best way. If you want to go more traditional, Sandy at McKayRealtyNetwork.com also. Yeah, I'm going to have to find out more about this and implement it myself. But for now, people can reach me at Rob at MrBreakthrough.ca. Appreciate you being here again. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. And we hope you've been inspired to take control and live life on your terms. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And don't forget to subscribe and listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. See you next time.